Hey, Matt. Hey, Mike. I got a funny story about our podcast that, oh. th- that you may already know, but I'm going to say it anyway. I, I do know about it, but let's let's record it so other people yeah, can hear about so, it. Yeah, um, so this is episode five, and we've never actually talked about why we called this podcast Hacking the Gibson, and I guess we don't have to do that now. Nope. Because we're no longer Hacking the Gibson. That's right. It's a brand new podcast that's exactly <laughs> the same, but with a slightly different name. Yeah, and a more obscure Unix reference. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, welcome to Hacking the Grepson. We were hacking the Gibson for several episodes until we were contacted about a week ago by another duo of podcasters who had been apparently working on a hacking the Gibson podcast for over a year, kind of in, I don't know about secret, but they just weren't... They just hadn't published it yet. Yeah, they had not published, so they weren't like on the interwebs as much as we were. And they sent us an email saying, hey... Could you change the name of your web of your podcast since we've already got a podcast and we've got 40 plus episodes and we've got a this and a that and all the marketing done and we're like huh yeah they were they were really nice about it yes. uh, but like yeah they had a website and a patreon and like and a twitter the, and a website yeah, yeah. and we had uh, four episodes recorded <laughs> yeah and and we liked the name you know it, it comes from a, a movie, the movie Hackers. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, we beat them to the punch on the publishing, but they were pretty nice about about the whole thing. Yeah, you know, we, we came to an agreement after the initial confusion, and, uh, you know, we decided to give them uh, the name, and instead we're going to be hacking the Grepsen, which, if you don't know, Grep is a very popular and old Unix utility for searching. Uh, so if you Grep something, it means you're looking for something on your computer. Yeah. Um, and it kind of, you know... Keeps the HTG, and uh, we can keep the logo, and I... Yeah, so yeah. We're, we're hacking the Grepson now. Episode 5. Uh, the Ministry of Truth has already been uh, alerted, <laughs> and all of the previous references to hacking the Gibson for us don't exist. That never happened. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. If you hear us say hacking the Gibson, we clearly... You, you clearly heard it wrong. That yeah. was... The, a weird audio distortion, perhaps? Yeah, we'll fix that in post or something. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so Hacking the Grepson. Today, uh, we wanted to talk about the advent of code that we finished uh, last year uh, on, on Christmas, December 25th. Uh, we, the last time we talked about it, we'd only gotten through about half of it, and now we've gone through all of them. Yeah. So we wanted to actually finish by talking about what our thoughts were on the advent of code uh, challenge maybe talk about uh, some of our favorite or least favorite challenges and uh, anything that we learned. Uh, Matt, did you want to start us off? Yeah, uh, so I'll, I'll start off with sort of just like my, my high-level overview of, of what I, I thought of, of it. So it started off super fun. I think the whole thing is really well put together. Uh, the way that the instructions are laid out is fun. Um, like the actual problems, there's, there's a theme to it. The way that the the judging of your solution works, mm-hmm. I think, is rather clever. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that everybody doesn't get the same sample input, so you can't just like cheat, right? Uh, is is smart. Uh, let you do it in. You could just do everything by hand. In fact, at least one of the problems I solved, I did in fact solve by hand and not with 
coding mm-hmm. um, and never got the coding solution, I don't, <laughs> I, I, I don't think. Um, and I think all of that was really smart because it ends up being just like, here's a cool problem, try it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that said, as it got further into the problem sets, the closer it got to Christmas, the harder the problems got. And in some cases, I was like, oh, this isn't fun anymore. <laughs> well, what, what constitutes fun, do you think, for a programming challenge? Because I have my own ideas, but yeah. I want to hear yours first. So for me, I, I I like to think about how I might solve the problem. Like solving a problem and breaking it down into its constituent parts and identifying like, Where's where am I getting stuck? All that stuff. As long as I'm able to make some sort of forward progress, mm-hmm. it's fun. If I'm learning something, that's fun. Um, where I have a problem is like, so the one day I didn't get was the 24th, which is also my birthday. So like extra bummer that I didn't get it. Mm. Um, <laughs> no star for you. Uh, no star for me. Um, and that one was actually a really interesting problem, but I hit a wall on it where I was just never able to get an answer that would finish in time in a reasonable amount of time. I think I let it run overnight at least once mm. uh, with some of the things even. And then when I would optimize, it would just fall apart. And at some point that just, there was nothing else I could do. I read hints and I was like, I'm doing all of these things. So I couldn't tell if there was a problem with the sample input with some logic error on my part, if I typoed somewhere. And at some point that just, I, I hit a wall and that stopped being fun then. Right. Yeah, uh, I will uh, agree with those points that basically near the, probably at the last week of challenges, uh, my interest in doing it was just waning, mainly because my bandwidth and my, like, thinking power was just running out. Like, I was literally just running out of the ability to kind of, like, grok what they were asking. Because, you know, most of the problems, especially as it got on through uh, the challenge, you know, the the... It's like several, you know, p- potentially printed pages of instructions. You know, yep. it's like a long word problem with lots of examples, and they give you test data generally, and then you also get the real data. So, you know, it takes a few minutes. Like, when, when somebody would get one of these challenges and beat it in, like, five or ten minutes, I think we joked yeah. about it before, like, that's how long it takes me to even read most of those yep. problems. So, I, you know, either they've done this before, and they immediately recognized what the issue was, and they had already made that algorithm, so they just wrote it again, or... You know, but if you're just starting and you haven't done this before, like, I don't know how you, you get through it that quick. Yeah. I'm not a very competitive person. I don't really care if I win. I don't need to be the fastest or the best. I, I didn't care about any of that stuff. For me... You did th- get more stars than me, though. Well, of course. Uh, <laughs> say that like, <laughs> of course I did, Mike. Um, but for me, the thing is, like, I want to solve the problem. I want, And I really want to solve it natively. I want to, I want to build the problem up. The, the solution up to the problem myself. Hmm. If you're beating this thing in four or five minutes, you're using libraries that maybe you wrote, mm-hmm. uh, but more likely you're, you're just very aware of what libraries are out there and you're like, oh, that needs this and you already know how to use it or you're really good at picking up libraries. I don't find that particular area of programming interesting. Hmm. Uh, the picking up someone else's code and using it is the worst part of uh, software development to me. I hmm. do not like it. I actually much prefer to write my own my own code, my own libraries, my own tools. How does your employer feel about that, though? Because uh, it seems like the, not the most efficient way. It's not. And so okay. at work, I, I tend to use what is expected mm. and what is, what's out there. But that's, honestly, it's a lot more challenging for me mm. to learn someone else's code than to actually build that same thing from the ground up more often than not. Hmm. Just the way my my brain happens to work. So so since I know you've been learning JavaScript lately, uh, does that mean the whole idea of Node and NPM and this 
huge library of pre you know created modules that you bring into your thing is just like rubbing you the wrong way no not at all because okay. python has the same thing okay right and so did ruby i use them but oh, yeah, I, gems yeah gems i think it really just boils down to do i understand this problem area well mm -hmm. if i do i just want to write that thing myself so that it's, it doesn't have all the extra stuff but like in python if i wanted to do image detection i'm not going to write that algorithm myself i'm going to mm -hmm pull in a library. That said, I don't like most of the libraries that do that. Mm -hmm. And so I actually am tempted to write my own because they're overcomplicated and their interfaces are poor. Yeah. You know, it, it's great that you bring up uh, the image decoding because day 20, uh, trench map, uh, that was essentially like, here is a image decoding algorithm and now use it to essentially, you know, mm. enhance, enhance, enhance yeah. uh, a bunch of, you know, text to make an image out of text and that was definitely one of the the cooler more interesting things i think to go back to the you know like why would you find day 24 uh interesting enough to keep i, I think you mentioned you know offline that you kept working on it even after the deadline because it was so interesting and i was trying to think of which challenges were interesting to me and why and i think it was the ones like uh day 10 was the transparent origami and that was the one where you, mm. uh, it was like wrapping paper and you had like yeah. a design that you folded over and then you folded again, except you were just doing that in code, not in yeah. in actual life. That one was really cool. Day 17, which was trick shot. And that was the, you know, gorilla.bas file yeah. where you basically are trying to shoot something at a particular angle with a certain velocity so that it ends up in a certain area. Yeah. I, um, I think the reason why I really like those is because the solution you're going towards is not just, here's a problem, here's the solution. It's more like, here's here's a scenario where you get to do something cool and you want to do something, like the solution is doing something cool, like folding paper or, uh, you know, shooting something at a, at a certain target. I don't know. It's like, like a more real world goal yeah. outside of the abstract of a programming goal really draw, helps draw me in and makes me want to keep working on it, much like that, that Absolutely. arithmetic logic unit one. I think I'm the same way on that, right? And I think going back to those people that solve it in like five minutes, I think where where they probably have a different approach to this than I do is they're solving their particular input sequence mm -hmm. and this particular problem very narrowly. And I, almost every single time I did any of these problems, was trying to do a generic solution that would work for any input, mm -hmm. um, which... On, actually, the ALU one in particular breaks down there. Mm -hmm. uh, so that that day twenty four, you had a you were writing a programming interpreter, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? It, it you had a bunch of instructions that were basically assembly code, mm -hmm. um, and it had to interpret it and produce the output that it would produce. As far as I can tell, what the expected solution to this was: look at the instructions, don't put them into your code. Like, actually, look at the instruction set and find the pattern in there and see what it's doing, and then reverse engineer. Like, it was a reverse engineering problem. I don't find those as interesting. They, mm. And that's a, but that's an actual practical thing that you could do in real life, right. which is why I kept coming back to it. Mm. But my solution was always: can I make? Can I optimize my software? So that it can just read in the instructions and get to the output. You had your program that could run it and would try to verify it, but then it had to work backwards to come up with a sequence of numbers that could go into that and and produce a specific value mm -hmm. to see if you could come up with a, a valid one. Right. And the potential uh, input uh, for that was uh, huge. <laughs> yes. You're basically talking about like optimizing your code. Mm -hmm. Like uh, It started out with that uh, lanternfish one 
where you essentially had to, like, you knew how the lanternfish grew, and you had to write something that would essentially tell you, okay, on day X, how many of them are there? Yeah. And if you check every single fish every single day for the amount of days they wanted, uh, your code would never would never finish doing it because it was too slow. So instead, you I, you know, I remember talking to you and another friend of ours who was doing this challenge about, okay, you have to change the way you're thinking about this and instead abstract what was happening to a much simpler data set that could right. be iterated many, many times. Yeah, instead of keeping track of there are 10,000 fish and this fish is this value, and this fish is this value. And it was, I have X fish of this value, and yes. Y fish of this value. And then you just go through that and apply a group operation on it. Right. And so, like, that one I thought was a really interesting, because, like, that was a natural solution, a, a natural way of reframing the problem mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I might actually do something like that. Whereas some of the other problems, like, oh, what was the one we were talking about earlier? Oh, yeah. The, the first one I didn't get two stars on mm -hmm. was day 21. The, uh, the direct dice. Yeah. So the first step of that was just like roll some dice, mm -hmm. basically, and like see what the answer is going to be. Make it play a game and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And that one was, it was a pretty straightforward right. first star. Mm -hmm. The second star <laughs> invented, it, it, it got into like quantum computing and parallel universes. Yes. Yeah, it was like every time was you roll a three-sided die. <laughs> Every time you roll this three-sided die, the universe splits into three parts. Yes. And then, so you have a, a hugely exponential growth to the problem set. That would never finish. Like, in reality, if you ran this, you just will not get to an answer. Because right. it, it just kept growing. Right. The way to reframe that one and store the data for that is something I learned back in, like, my AI class in college, where you basically want to store the state Mm -hmm. the how to store how to represent the state mm -hmm. and where to store it and all that was so opposite of the way the rest of my program worked that it would have involved a complete rewrite and i just at, the, at that point i was like i don't care that much yeah I, I i think you know at some point the amount of time you have to put in to to get some of these was exceeding uh like i said my, my bandwidth and my just my ability to to grok all this stuff it, it, it's not that it wasn't fun but after a while it's just like okay it's like you can see what they want you to do, but do you want to do what they want you to do? And sometimes, if, if it was interesting enough, you would go for it, and then other times, like, at least for me, I just never got there. Yeah, so we talk, so, so the one you were talking about that uh, earlier was the Day 23, the Amphipod, which was essentially like one of those uh, tile puzzles where like each of the amphipod, there's like different types of, of these creatures oh, and they one. have different rules. Yes. And that was when you were talking about how you probably figured it out on paper, like you drew it on a grid and moved them. I think so. Yeah. Right. But <laughs> then, and I did that too. And that was, that was much easier than trying to think about the, the, the code that would run that. Mm -hmm. But I've never liked those numbered tile puzzles. I'm not good at them. And I know that this one it's not exactly like that, but but the thing is, is that yes, I could figure out a solution, but they want the optimal yes. solution, like the fewest moves possible, and it's like I, I just I don't even know how to start doing that without just trial by error, just trying it until the number gets lower. But that didn't seem fun or efficient, so I kind of dropped off of it. Yeah, and that that was one I didn't get. I didn't get the second star on that one. The first what one was the second star on that one. So the second star for this one. Is they increased the depth of the rooms. So instead of being two shrimp or whatever it was in each room, there was now four. And that actually got... So I ended up, after I solved the first part by hand, I, I, I did come up with the code, I think, 
to mm-hmm. figure out how to do that. Mm-hmm. But for four, I I couldn't because I couldn't even figure it out by hand. I was like, I, I never even was able to come up with a solution to my sample input. Mm-hmm. Let alone the optimal one. Yeah. yeah. And I, I kept trying and I was like, no, you can't because you get to this certain point and there are no moves. Because that was what I, that was what I ended up writing my code as was find any possible moves mm-hmm. <laughs> and then just try them. Uh, like, I didn't worry at all about optimal code. Mm-hmm. Just, can I get to a solution? And it it grew uh, a lot. I think that one, if I went back to it now, I think I could probably figure it out. Yeah. Now that I've had, like, a month off of it. Mm-hmm. I think, I bet I bet if I sat down and tried that one now, I could, I could do it. Not, and taking away the supposed lesson that I learned from the first part of that problem. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of those trickier ones was you wrote a solution to the first star... And then when you found out what the, the twist was, often the ones that I I couldn't move past were the ones where I needed to basically throw out my first solution. Mm-hmm. I don't like those. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was definitely a very interesting way that they presented uh, the, the, the first part and the second part. And sometimes the second one, like the Dirac Dice, was like a huge, oh, okay, that's the real problem. Is you know they were hold, It's like they're holding back. And like after a while, you're like, okay... I know the first part of this is going to be relatively straightforward, and then they're going to pull the rug out from under me, which, you know, is both interesting, but also can be frustrating. If I had been successful in getting the first 48 stars, you know, Mm -hmm. I got 44 total. So pretty close, right? But but if I'd gotten all... Thank you. If I'd gotten all of the first 24 days double star, the Christmas question was pretty easy. Yeah. Like, it didn't take me long at all to put it together. I don't remember what it was. But the second star of that was go get stars, go get two stars on every other day. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh. And I was like, but I appreciated that because as a Christmas present, right? Like, okay, you've uh, worked to Christmas. I don't. We don't really want everybody to like go and and be off like yeah. hack, hacking on their computer all day right. on Christmas. Spend time with your families and friends. Yeah. I mean, that should have been the part two. It's like, okay, yeah. now now go spend time. Well, with that, and that's how I viewed it, is that was basically what it was. Because I wasn't going to go back and get the other four four or five stars that I didn't get. Right. Um, but I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in general, like I said, for me, it was kind of my first real kind of programming challenge that I've done. I'm assuming you've done many more of these in the past. So this yeah. Was... I, used to, I used to do them live basically for when I was part of the ACM back in college yeah and you would go to a different campus and they would give you six problems printed out on pieces of paper right and then you had like five hours to do as many of them as you could yeah and those were frankly more difficult problems than Mm -hmm. these yeah this is not the first year they've done this advent of code and furthermore you can go back and look at all of the previous years which is actually a really cool thing and i actually went back to the first year 2015 and started doing some of the problems which i would say are you know very fairly similar in style and scope and difficulty as as uh, this year's just with a different theme the 2015 theme at least the the ascii picture that they use to chart your progress is a christmas tree so you're kind of starting at the base and going up to the star as opposed to this year's which was going in like an elf submarine down to the Mariana Trench or yeah. something. But what, what was interesting is that I thought, okay, for 2021, I didn't, I, I used Ruby because that is the kind of, um, not, not dynamic, what is the word I'm looking for for the kind of... Interpretive. Interpret, right, is the, is the interpretive language that I'm most uh, familiar with. Python is not one of them, and I've barely done anything. So for 2015, I, I did all the problems that I've done so far, which is maybe like the first five or six days, 
in Python, mm. just so I could see, okay, what is, you know, what's different about this? And in general, Python is not that different from Ruby. It's not, no. Uh, although it does uh, use uh, a different kind of syntax for its functions uh, with the like colon at the end, and they don't use ends yeah. for functions, which is... It trips people up. It, it, it trips me <laughs> up in a way that it just, like, like uh, um, j just as, like, a stylistic choice, it's it's weird. And I don't like it, because I'm the kind of person who, like, loves to get their, like, the beginning brace and the end brace of their methods, like, all nice and, 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 and you know, consistent. Speaking of which, just as an aside, I started reading the Reddit subreddit, Bad Code. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of them was uh, someone who decided to take all of their embraces and just put them at the bottom of the file. Just like in a line? Just like in a block huh. of like braces of all the embraces for any beginning braces they started above. And I'm uh. like, <sighs> like I, ha I had to sit down for a few seconds after that. Um, so anyway, going to Python and having like, I mean, Ruby doesn't use uh, braces, uh, but Python doesn't even use end yeah, it it uses its white space. It uses it, it's even more of a white space thing. Well, actually, I don't think Ruby uses. Ruby white doesn't space. care. Right. It just yeah. keeps reading until it gets to end. Right, and and man, that end is very useful. And and I mean, have you ever found that that trips you up? At least when you first started using Python. When I first that? started using it, yeah, yeah, uh, it's it's never really bothered me though. Yeah, uh, if anything, it it helps it helped enforce to me the advantages of indenting my code, mm -hmm. and also because you have to indent your code in yes. Python and you have no choice. Uh, what I found is it also kind of forced me to not nest too deeply. Uh, because otherwise it would go right. off. Yeah. So I, I, it, it forced some cleaner code practices on mm -hmm. me just by virtue of that. Yeah. And I, I, especially from when I was learning Python, that was early enough in my career where I, I appreciated that. Mm. <laughs> kind of nudged me in the right direction. It, it is it is kind of unsettling going from Ruby to Python to back to Ruby, though, because... I, or even to JavaScript, yeah. basically most... I mean, is there any other language, at least that's popular, that uses that doesn't use, like, an end keyword for a function besides Python? Like, that's the first time I've really run into that. Python's the only one I can think of that has that... Because usually you have an end brace or the word end or like in bash, it's if backwards, yeah, right? <laughs> which is silly and yeah, yeah. But like all those things, but yeah, I can't, I can't think of another one. There probably are other ones. I, I think there are some white space specific languages that probably, uh, there's probably a white space. There is a white programming. Space. Yeah. Language. There is. Yes. Of course there is. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's called mind F. Uh, yes. Yes. Um, so, so besides advent of code, like, uh, since I really like doing it and you've done other ones, like what other kind of programming challenges like this would you suggest trying? Um, so I think advent of code is probably the most fun of okay. them that I've done. Yeah. Uh, I really liked the way it was done. And I also appreciated the sort of short time window mm -hmm. that it existed in. So it was an ongoing thing that kept me engaged. Yeah. Leet code. Like L-E-E-T? Yeah. Okay. Is out there and it, it provides a lot of. They're really more like interview style type questions, but okay. it does a good job. Uh, like its environment and the way it asks the questions, and they're a little bit more practical. They're not as fun, but mm. that that's got a good setup for that. I did a whole bunch of that when I was preparing for interviews, mm -hmm. really early la about this time last year. I was like, oh, I haven't interviewed for a job in fourteen years. I should probably brush up on things people are asking. Um, I mean, does it have like a this is the time period that this challenge is happening, or are they just, like, continual? They're, they're continual. Like, okay. there's always new things out there. 
Um, there's you can also sort it by like most popular okay. questions, most answered. It leans a little heavily into like if you want to learn more of that that sort of the code optimization that you that you were saying you struggle with, mm-hmm. uh, specifically that's like dynamic programming mm-hmm. style, which is not a style of programming that quite frankly is used a lot in reality, but is used a lot in interview questions. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, it leans a little heavily in that direction, in mm-hmm. my opinion, but it's a good way, I think, to learn a language. Yeah. Because um, it does actually run your code. It's not, you don't, you don't run it on your machine. It runs okay. there, so there's a time limit, and it will just stop if you don't hit the time. If, if your code's still running, it'll just kick you out after a certain amount of time. So it enforces certain things, and it okay. also will check for like memory usage and time and it'll it'll not grade you but it'll sort of show where you fall percentile wise amongst uh-huh. other people who've answered and I found that really interesting because some of my obvious solutions did like really well in like length of code or length of time or whatever but then like took up a ton of memory um, because uh-huh. just the way that it, what are you optimizing for right. right and so that that I found that interesting. Okay. Um, and then there's probably just a bunch of other ones out there. If you search for the ACM as the Association of Computing Machinery or so Association for Computing Machinery, one of those, um, ACM, uh, they have programming practices or programming contests going back decades. Um, and there's sample problems out there. That, and those are those are interesting. And also uh, technology has progressed a lot since a lot of those came out. And so some of the things that might have been hard Back then, might be easier now just by virtue of the way things work. Mm-hmm. But I don't know any others. <laughs> okay, well, cool. Uh, did you have any other parting thoughts about AOC 2021? No, but I look forward to doing AOC 2022. I also look forward to it. All right, well, thanks for listening to Hacking the Grepson. Uh, we now return you to your regularly scheduled lives already in progress. Mm-hmm.